We are going to be going through the book of Jonah, so this is your chance to get a head start to try, try to find the book of Jonah in your Bible. Jonah is kind of a tricky book, okay, because we know it's kind of in this section of the Bible. By the way, this is the front of my Bible, this is the back of my Bible. Um, we know it's kind of like with all the names that are weird, like put together, like Hosea and Habakkuk and Zephaniah and Micah. We know it's in that section there, but like in my Bible, it's literally just this page. If I was to flip to any other page, I would miss it. Um, and so if you have my Bible, it's on page 774, by the way, but you probably don't. Um, so as you go and find Jonah in your Bible, um, I just want to, I want to talk a little bit about what this book is about. Jonah's a familiar story, right? It's a story that we tell our children. If you have a, a children's storybook Bible, you will have the story of Jonah inside of it because it's a good story, right? You have this prophet named Jonah and he's told to go somewhere and he goes somewhere else. And then God swallows him with a fish. Right. And that's kind of a fun story because God preserves him and then he goes and does what God told him to do. Uh, and that's the story of Jonah. But Jonah's not exactly the easiest story um, for us to get into because Jonah is not a heroic figure. You know, the man Jonah's kind of kind of like us. Like he does some good stuff and then he does a lot of stupid stuff and we can see ourselves in Jonah. Well, the, the book of Jonah was written or the man Jonah served. Um, during the high point of uh, the northern kingdom of Israel. If you know your Bible history, uh, you know that um, David, uh, Saul was the first king of Israel, and then you had David and Solomon. And then after Solomon, the country split into two. They had a civil war, and you had the northern country, which kept the name Israel, and you had the southern country, which was going by the name of Judah. They were unified, and then they separated. And we're talking now about the northern part of it, the best times, the most um, kind of like rich times, the times when that kingdom was doing the best that it ever did, was under a guy named Jeroboam II. Okay, so this is the second Jeroboam. And Jonah was writing during that time. It was a time when there was money and there was land and there was victory and there was relative peace for the northern kingdom of Israel. No one was coming and knocking on their doors trying to conquer them. No one was um, threatening to take away all their children and murder them. It was relatively peaceful time uh, for that time period. And Jonah is coming out of that and writing while that's going on. So it's kind of high cotton times for them. And then we're introduced to Jonah in the book of Jonah. If you have your Bibles, open to Jonah chapter 1, and this is what it says. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying... Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, and so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. This is all we're going to cover today. Um, we're going to do Jonah in five weeks, okay? But today we're just going to get acclimated to the book. And so we have Jonah, this prophet of the Lord. And God speaks to Jonah and says, Jonah, I have seen something going on. There is a city called Nineveh, and Nineveh was a, a royal city, not a capital city, um, but a royal city for the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrian Empire was really struggling, kind of a fledgling empire at this time. But ultimately, it's going to be the most powerful nation on earth. And like, I don't know, 70 years, it's going to be the most powerful nation on earth. But, but at this time, it's kind of a fledgling 
uh, country just barely trying to hold things together, and there's six or eight different people trying to run the place, and it's kind of struggling. But Nineveh is one of these important cities inside of the Assyrian Empire, and God says, that place is wicked. And I hear what's going on there, I see what's going on there, and it's time for us to tell them about how wicked they are. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament God, you understand that when God says this place is wicked, he's not messing around, right? I mean, it, when, when God looked at Sodom and Gomorrah and said, hey, that place is wicked, like he, he, he burned it up, right? I mean, it was in, a, in an instant, he burned it up. When, when there was the conquest going on under Joshua, and he would go to a town uh, like Jericho, and he'd say, that place is wicked, God's judgment would fall on that place. And it wasn't just military that destroyed that place, it was the wrath of God that utterly destroyed these wicked places. See, God has a real issue with wickedness. This is something that I think we lose sight of in our culture today. We think that God is kind of like cool with us. Like, God, we're good, right? Like, I'm a pretty decent person and I do okay. But God is not cool with sin. He's not okay with you sinning a little bit. He's not okay with you being a mediocre person. And in fact, if we were to look at our culture culturally, we're pretty wicked. Like, as a people, this place that we live in, we can go with Rockdale specifically, or you can go broader to the state of Texas, or broader across our country. Like, it's a pretty wicked time. I don't know what to do with it, honestly. Sometimes I read stories, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to do with this world. I mean, there's a story just recently about an abortion doctor, right? And, and he had, uh, like, 1,500 baby bodies in his car. Like, pieces of baby bodies in his car. Like, what... What is going on in that? And in, this is like, what's going on in our world? And they got this guy who's, who, who's, who's taking children out of their mothers and, and, and killing them, and then he's saving them like trophies, like a legitimate serial killer would do on criminal minds. Like, what's going on in our world today that that's going on? Right? We have all this stuff with gender and gender confusion, and guys, like, I, I'm sympathetic. I really am. I'm sympathetic to people who walk around feeling confused about who they are. I, I, I love people who, who are very confused about who they are and what they are and what God made them to be. Like, and, and it hurts my heart to know people walk through this. I remember my first major exposure to this. I was in a, an abnormal psychology class, which is where we just go through all the major psychological illnesses and talk about them. And one of those illnesses was gender dysphoria, and that was the first time I was ever exposed to the idea of transgendered people and people really struggling with this. I knew about cross-dressing and transvestites, which is apparently not a thing anymore. I'm not sure why. Um, but like, I, I, I knew about it. But then when I studied, I was like, man, there's a lot of people who are just confused. And now, like what was a lot of people like in 2001, whenever I was taking abnormal psychology, is insane, the number of people, right? And they're just confused. But our world doesn't know what to do with it, right? We have the story about what's going on in Dallas right now, right? With the, the young kid who's, who's, you know, thinks he's a girl and his mom and dad are divorced and the mom wants to help him begin transitioning. He's seven years old, wants to help him begin transitioning um, to being a girl. And you got the dad who's not married to the mom anymore. It's like, hold on, I don't really want us doing this to my son. And the court's like, we're going we're gonna to let this go through. And I'm not sure, I, I think I read something that maybe there was a pause on that or something. But guys, we live in a pretty debased world. And we don't know what's right anymore. But we, like, to stand up and say this is right is, is, is considered hate speech or it's considered dogmatic. And, and guys, the church is really bad at that. 
at just saying, like, guys, this is right, and I'm sorry about that. Like, I, I don't always love telling people that they're living in sin. I don't like it when people tell me I'm living in sin. Right? Like, sin is kind of a nasty thing that we don't like to acknowledge, but it exists. We're a part of that broken system. This world is really, really wicked. But guys, we don't think that God is the same God that he was back in Jonah's day. Because if we thought that, we would be absolutely terrified of the judgment of God in our lives. Right? We would stop doing some of the sins that we're, we're, we're currently doing personally. And we'd be crying out against the sin of our nation because, you know, God judges peoples. Not just individuals sometimes. There's peoples who are judged. And guys, none of us are holy. None of us are perfect or pure or clean. We're, we're pretty wicked people. And we live in a pretty wicked place. And the judgment of God that God is de declaring against Nineveh is the same judgment that we could be under right now. Guys, first of all, the first thing we have to understand is that God is a just God. He's still doing just things. And when wickedness goes up, God sees it. And there comes a time when wickedness goes up that God says, that's enough. Like that right there, you've hit my limit. You know, as a parent, you get there with your kids, right? You're like, ignore, 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 ignore. You're like, and I'm done, right? And then we just go, right? <laughs> right? And then it's like, and, and you get on about things that happen, you know, early in the morning all the way until the afternoon, because you want to be like, look, this is all the stuff you've done. There comes a point when God's limit, his measure gets filled, and then we're inviting the wrath of God. Guys, I don't want the wrath of God, personally. I don't want the wrath of God on my life. And as a people, we need to be aware that God is still that God. Like through the, through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have forgiveness. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, we know that there's hope for a future for us and that there's life on the other end of this world, that God is in the process of doing something unique and new through the church. But he's still the same person that he was back in 750 B.C. that he is today in 2019. He doesn't change. And so when there are things that is wicked, God sees the wickedness, and it rises up to him. In Jonah's day, that was happening in Nineveh, and God sees the wickedness, and so God calls out to Jonah and says, Jonah, I have a job for you. And Jonah's job is pretty simple. You're going to go and tell those people that they're wicked, wicked people, and I'm going to destroy them. Right? And that was the message that Jonah had to share. And Jonah did not want to do that message. But you know what I find to be more interesting than Jonah's refusal to do that? Is the idea that God uses people at all. You know, God uses people to accomplish things that God could do on his own. Uh, we have a picture of God that God can do all things. There's nothing that's too big for God, nothing too uh, extravagant for God. But God doesn't go and send angels to Nineveh. He doesn't appear in a blinding light above the city of Nineveh and profess their impending doom. He takes a person and he says, I want you to do this for me. And guys, we, as the church get to play that role for God. God calls us to be his instruments in this world. Instruments for good, the good of God, and instruments for the truth-telling of God, the prophetic truth that God has to share in our world today. But God uses people like you to do his work. 
He doesn't need you. Sometimes people get confused. Man, God needs us to do this so that this thing can happen. God doesn't need us. He wants us to be a part of what he's doing. He wants to use someone like me, someone who's busted up and broken and has all sorts of crazy issues in his life. He wants to use me to stand in front of people and tell them the, the love of God, right, the forgiveness found in Jesus Christ, and the hopelessness that living in sin is. Right, God uses me, and I'm not, as I tell you all this, almost every Sunday, I'm not a perfect person. I'm not better than the guy sitting next to you. I mean, unless you're sitting next to well, I don't want to say who. But, but, you know, like, I'm not better, I'm not better than you. I mean, I try to, to love God. I try to be faithful to his word. I strive to be holier today than I was yesterday, and I probably am better than I was yesterday, but I still know I'm a pretty crooked stick. Jonah was a crooked stick. He was just a person. Prophet during the time of Jeroboam II. But God said, I'm going to use a person for my purposes. And God has been doing that ever since. He's still in the business of doing that today. You know, Jonah isn't a missionary. Jonah's a prophet. He's not going there to tell people about the love of God and how God is uh, bringing them to forgiveness of sin. He's just there to proclaim the wrath of God on them but you know missionaries serve similar purposes in the world today god takes a normal person you know missionaries are normal people uh you might have missionaries in your family i know missionaries uh, very closely uh, my, my wife's family has geez dozens of missionaries inside of it and so i know these people they're normal people uh, but god uses them to do work that needs to be done one of the things that I think is sad about the church today is we've fallen out of love with doing the work of God, and we're really interested in doing the work for ourselves. You know, God has purposes for this town that you live in today, and he's called you specifically to do something about it. Now, maybe you're, the only call in your life is the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations, right? Maybe that's the only call that you have. Maybe you've never felt a specific call to ministry. But I know in a church like this, there are people in this room who know that God has called them to ministry and have rebelled against that. I know it. Because that's the way we are. God says, I want you to go. I want you to surrender your life to go live for my good. And we say, I really would rather make some money. Because this was my story. I was 15 when I got saved. At 16, I knew God wanted me to go into the ministry. I knew it. I had no doubt that that was God's call on my life was to go to serve in the ministry. 16 years old. If you would ask me at 16 what it is I wanted to do, I would say anything but this. Right? I wanted to have a job. I didn't even care what it was. Like, I know my dad did something with computers, so I figured I'd go kind of follow in that world right there. That's what my brother did. He followed in that world. He's making good money. And I could have followed in that world. I'd make some money. Go to church, serve in the church, maybe teach a Sunday school class, maybe serve as a deacon. But, but I was not going to do something to, to give up my personal security and wealth for, for what God wanted me to do. And for two years, God and I thought about that. Right? I knew that this is what God wanted me to do, and I said, I don't want to do it. Two years. I was 18 years old. I was had just graduated high school. And then God just kind of impressed on me. He's like, you're not going to find anything else in this world that's going to give you any hope at all to have a decent life except for this. And so I gave up everything else, and I said, this is all that I'm going to do. I dedicated my life to this, and I'm 
and I'm 37 now, so I'm almost 20 years into this, of being faithful, following after that. But guys, ministry is a call that's put on everyone's life generally. Every single person in this room has a call to ministry, but some of you specifically, God has told you. You know that God has called you to go, and you've refused to go. And I want you to know some of the story of Jonah, while well, not really the story of a missionary or a failed missionary, right? it's the story of someone who, who, who is a prophet. But if you're here today, and that was a call on your life, and maybe you were 14, 15, 16, 18 years old, and you knew that God had called you to serve him, and now you're 68, 69, 70 years old, and you've yet to surrender to that call, today's a good day to do that. Today's a good day to do it. You may say, I don't have any more working years in front of me. I don't care. We'll figure that out. We'll figure that out. But it's time to stop living disobediently because as God's instruments, right, because God uses people to do his will, he doesn't just force us to do it. Like, God's better than that. Like, I, I make my kids do things. This morning I woke up and we, had, uh, we ate last night. That's weird. Um, but our, our, our dishes were, like, piled up. We feed eight people in my house on a normal night, and sometimes it's 15. I don't know. Random people show up at my house. I don't even know where these people come from. Right? But we feed eight on a normal night, and that means big pots and pans, and it makes a big mess. And so we're doing dishes and laundry all the time. Um, and I woke up this morning, and there were dishes piled up. And so I look at two of my daughters who were already ready for church. Good job, girls. And I said, hey, y'all need to do dishes. Right, y'all need to do dishes because I got to get ready and y'all got to get y'all got to do these dishes. Right, I, I make them do it, right? I'm not good like God. I don't say, "Hey guys, if you want, dishes need to be done." Right, and like you can do it if you want. That would be helpful, but that's how God is. God, God's like, "Hey, this is what needs to be done. I want you to do this, but you have total free will to choose to obey God or not." Jonah could have immediately gone to Nineveh, but instead Jonah did the exact opposite. Nineveh, uh, I'm looking at my map in my mind right now from your perspective. Jonah's here, Nineveh's here, and Jonah sets off to go to a boat here to go way over there. I feel like that's right, in, in your directions, in your world. Right, Jonah's going to Spain. That's where Tarshish is, that's our best guess. That's the farthest part of the world. Spain doesn't seem like the furthest part of our world, but imagine you lived in the Mediterranean, like, that is literally the edge of the Mediterranean. There's nothing past Spain. God said, go west, or go east, and Jonah said, I'm going to go as far west as that boat will go. Until Columbus shows up, there's nothing past that. I'm going to go that far and see if I can get away from the presence of God. And some of us have been running from what God has asked us to do for a long time. Some of you today have been running from obedience to God here locally. Not vocational ministry, not going um, to do any like specific, like I'm going to be a pastor or a missionary or a whatever. Right? I'm talking about some of you just have been wandering away from what God has asked you to do here. To be a gospel witness in Rockdale, Texas, or in Milano, or Thorndale, or wherever God has placed you. Right? Instead of being a gospel witness where God has placed you, you've gone totally inward. And you hide from that. Instead of shining out God's light, you, you turn your light off. That's one of the reasons that I think Halloween is a wonderful holiday. I know Halloween has dark roots, and there's some, some stuff that's not necessarily best about the history of Halloween. But, you know, Halloween is the only day of the year when strangers will walk up to your house wanting to talk to you, except for the Jehovah's Witnesses. 
the only day of the year. Right? It's the only day of the year that people are, are lined up to come to churches. We have a chance to be a gospel witness. There's something simple, like, like handing out candy at a trunk or treat and telling some kid, hey, I like your Power Ranger costume. Is that, that's a thing still, right? That came back around. I think anything that was good whenever I was a child has come back around because we're making our children relive our childhood. It's really sad. I'm sorry, guys. Y'all deserve better. You deserve your own childhood, but you're getting mine rewrapped, right? Like they, but they're going to be lined up. And some of us on days like that, like, like, like we literally shut down, right? We turn off our outside lights and we make sure there's no lights on in the front of our house and we retreat as far back into our house as we can to hide so people don't come to us. And we're gospel witnesses and they're coming to you. And you can give them a piece of candy on the darkest day of the night in God's love. Right? We can, we, we can, we can reclaim something with the love of God. Church, we have an opportunity. I mean, this week we have a specific opportunity to be God's instruments in a world. God is still using people to do his work. And God will use trunk or treat, or if you're able to do trick or treaters at your house, legitimately, like I can't. But if you're able to do that at your house, God can use that for his glory. But you've got to be willing to put yourself out there. For, for our sake, that means you've got to be willing to come up here at 5 o'clock and set yourself up and be ready to go and be happy and, and give them something to see. Because you know what people need to see from the church? They need to see the love of God on display from the people of God. Guys, and we need to stop acting like we have everything together. Nobody, nobody's got this thing figured out yet. Y'all are better than me, I know it. But you're not that much better than me. Right? We're all wicked. And the world needs to hear that. that, that like Christians, us people who live in places like this, we're not better because we do better. Right? We're not, we're not better because we act or we act holy, right? The only reason we're holy, the only reason that we can say like we have something about us that's better is because Jesus is better. That's what this world needs, guys. The drug addled, the broken families, the, the nonsense that's in this town. I love this town, but this town hurts. They need us to show them that God loves them. And you get to be God's instrument. Jonah was God's instrument. You get to be God's instrument on a small scale, a local scale. And some of you need to stop running and you need to be God's instrument on the international scale that God's called you to be. You know, the Baptist church is founded on a couple of things, but the most important thing that makes us Baptist is our idea of cooperating for the Great Commission around the world. And we've lost our missionary zeal Part of that, I was talking with WOM, was that two weeks ago, I guess, online, something like that. Uh, I'm a product of Southern Baptist life, just where I came from, I'm sorry. Um, but part of what happened was like we had some programs that fell apart and kind of got replaced by other things and everything kind of shifted around about 20 years ago. And we've lost sight of the fact that you are called to go. Some of you specifically are called to go to the nations today. 
if you know that's you today, we're going to have an invitation. And you can make that public. You can say, like, I, I don't know how I'm supposed to be in ministry. I don't know where I'm called to go, but I am called by God to go. And you know what? As a church, we're going to help you with that, to get you set. To get you set up, to get you structured, to get you sent. Because the one thing you can't do when God has placed a specific call in your life to serve in ministry is what Jonah did, is run the exact opposite way. Because you know what happens to Jonah? He literally gets eaten by a fish. That's not fun. That's not fun. So for some of us, we need to surrender to ministry today. For others of us, we just need to turn our lights back on where we are in our community. We recognize that God is going to use you, even you, 95-year-old you, to go and to make a difference in this world. 22-year-old you with 16 kids, he's going to use you to go and to make an impact in this world. Because God uses broken people to make straight paths. I know this because I'm that broken person that God uses. You would know it too if you would go and let God use you the way he intends to.